Legally Blonde, Suits, My Cousin Vinny. All badass lawyers, all different. Which begs the question, what type of lawyer do you want to be? Don't waste another second thinking, ugh, I don't even know what types of lawyers there are. Trust us, we've been there. Let's put a stop to that once and for all. Go take the 90-second quiz from new lawyer now what coach Angela Vorpal to give yourself a clear picture of the best fit type law for you. Go to www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com and take the quiz today. Once you've taken the quiz, send us a DM on Instagram to let us know what type of lawyer you got. We can't wait to hear. When we make the decision to go to law school, most of us have zero idea of what type of lawyer we want to be. I know that was the case when I started. Usually what we know about being a lawyer basically comes from Law & Order or Legally Blonde. Shout out to our girl, Elle Woods. So if you're thinking about going to law school, already in law school, or you maybe you just took the bar exam, or have just been curious about what type of law you might be the perfect fit for, we have just the thing for you. Tell them, Samantha. A longtime friend of the podcast and new lawyer now what coach, Angela Vorpal has put together a free what type of lawyer I should be quiz. This 90 second quiz is designed to give you a window into what your best fit type of law might be. Awesome. Am I right? You can take the quiz at www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com. So what are you waiting for? Go take the quiz and then send us a DM on Instagram with the type of lawyer you got. We're so excited to see. Hey guys, and welcome back to Ladies Who Law Podcast. I'm Haley. And I'm Sam. And this week we have a very special guest, an animal law expert who has built amazing programs and is currently at Vermont Law Institute. So this is a great episode for anyone who, you know, is wondering what animal law is, as well as those people out there who are interested in animal law. Yes. So let's tune in with Miss Delcy Winders. Please help me welcome our guest, Miss Delcy Winders. Hi, Delcy. How are you doing today? I am doing great, and it's great to be here with y'all. Well, Delcy, tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a professor at Vermont Law and Graduate School, and I'm also the director of the Animal Law and Policy Institute there, and that is an institute that I created two years ago, and I am a animal law program builder, so I have also built programs elsewhere. Um, I practiced animal law for more than 15 years, and I have taught it for about 10 years. I mean, I want to know all about it because I'm very interested. (laughs) Okay, but let's start at the very beginning. So, you know, where'd you you go to law school? Like, how did that come to be? Yeah, so I went to NYU, New York University School of Law, um, and I went to law school specifically to practice animal law, and I went (laughs) at a time where some people were doing animal law, but it was... um, not as prevalent as it is now, and it's still not super prevalent. And yeah. so 
Um, I chose NYU because of its support of public interest programs. It didn't have any animal law offerings. Um, I was able to get the school to offer to add an animal law course while I was there. Um, and they now have more programming in that space. But um, at the time, even mentors, my professors told me that wasn't a field, that wasn't something that you could get a job in. And so I was determined to prove them wrong, which I did. Um, and now I'm just trying to make it easier for other people who want to follow that path. Awesome. So, okay, you said you practiced for 15 years before you mm-hmm. taught. So, you know, where did you begin practicing? Did you start off doing animal law like right off the bat or? Yeah, I was pretty lucky. So I did, I clerked for one year. I clerked for the Sixth Circuit and Judge Daughtry, who was an amazing judge to clerk for. Um, And then I started doing animal law. So I started out at an award-winning public interest firm in Washington, D.C., a very small firm, uh, Meyer Glitzenstein, that did a mix of animal law, environmental law, open government. But my docket was entirely animal law and pretty diverse. So I was part of a team that went to trial against Ringling Brothers for their abuse of elephants. I worked on litigation against industrial wind farms that were siting turbines in known migratory bird and bat flyways. Um, I litigated a FOIA case that went to trial against Huntington Life Sciences, which is now called Envigo, and there were recently beagles seized from them. Um, They were trying to keep information about their abuse of animals secret um, and, and various other matters. So a pretty diverse docket. And then from there, I went to work for Farm Sanctuary, a leading farmed animal advocacy organization as their director of legal campaigns. Then I joined the PETA Foundation, and I um, established and directed their captive animal law enforcement division, which um, was a team of veterinarians, scientists, and lawyers advocating for captive wild animals used in entertainment, mostly circuses and roadside zoos. And while I was there, which was for quite a few years, my team rehomed well over 100 animals, chimpanzees, uh, bears, big cats, Um, a very special elephant who I personally was able to escort to sanctuary. And that team is still going strong and kicking ass, um, including rehoming cats from some of the men featured in Tiger King and shutting down their operations. Um, I also did a, I was a, the first ever fellow in Harvard's animal law and policy program and um, started sort of transitioning to full-time academia. So I started teaching on the side while practicing full-time, eventually joined the faculty at Lewis and Clark Law School to establish their um, animal law litigation clinic, um, and then was poached to start Vermont Law and Graduate Schools program. Wow. I mean, you have done it all, girl. I am (laughs) like, I don't even know where to start. I just want to know all of it. But, you know, let's talk about animal law. Generally, what is it? Whenever I hear you talk about it, it sounds like you're talking a lot about wild animals, big animals. You know, what all does this encompass? It's incredibly broad because animals are all around us. We're actually animals also, although (laughs) I don't like to admit it a lot of the time. Um, And so animal law means a lot of different things. And it is usually the first question if I, you know, meet someone on the street and they're like, what do you do? Animal law, what is that? Um, And so broadly speaking, it's 
any law that impacts the status and treatment of animals. And different people have different focuses within that. So my career has primarily focused on the animals we raise for food and captive wild animals, um, mostly for entertainment, but also when they're used for research. But people work on companion animal issues, and there's a wide array of ways to do that. So you can work on tackling puppy mills, or you can work on veterinary malpractice cases and everything in between. Some people are working on conservation involving animals in the wild. People are working on animals used for experimentation. It really runs the gamut. And so what I'm trying to offer students is a really broad foundational education and then mentoring them to figure out and then pursue their own interests within the incredibly broad field of animal law. I mean, that is something that I could definitely see myself wanting to do, like puppy mills, like take them all down. Yeah. And I'll help yeah. you, you know? Absolutely. Come <laughs> yeah, join us. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, yeah. And honestly, when you were talking about all like the elephants and stuff earlier, I was like kind of getting a little tear in my eye. It was, yeah. you know, just, I love animals. Okay. So let's back up. Let's say if someone's in law school like you were mm-hmm. and they're interested in animal law and they're, they don't have a program, right? Yeah. Which what, is most people. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. where, should, where should they start so they can kind of like, what if they want to be you, you know? <laughs> well, there, there are a number of things. So they could consider transferring to a school with an animal law program, like Vermont Long Graduate School, um, a school with a pretty robust curriculum in that space. They could also consider doing a dual degree. So in addition to our JD and LLM degrees, um, which are both available residentially and online, by the way, we also have a Master's of Animal Protection Policy degree, both online and residential. And a lot of folks do that along with a JD degree. Um, And we have students from other law schools who do that. So they they can do coursework online. And we also have a great summer session. So some folks just come to Vermont in the summer, which is magical. Um, So that's one possibility. Um, They also can work to get an animal law class added at their school. So last year, I um, taught an online class for Toledo Law because students there pushed for a class to be added. And so I taught it. And really, the growth of animal law has in, in academia has been thanks to students. Students have pushed for all of the programming that exists. It's also thanks to really generous funders as well. But if students weren't pushing for it, it wouldn't exist. So I would encourage students to advocate for it at their school as well. And I'm happy to talk to students who are trying to do that. I, I talk to students at other schools um, and and try to walk them through some navigating some of the hurdles. And also if Students are wondering like where to, you know, apply to work and stuff. Does every state have like, let's say a PETA office or something like that? Yeah. So there aren't really a lot of regional offices, but most of the major national animal protection nonprofits um, have legal jobs that are virtual now. Um, which is really nice. I think the pandemic hastened that, but the work is really national and sometimes international. So you might be traveling a lot, but there's not a need to be in one particular place. And um, we at the Animal and Policy Institute webpage, we actually have a page dedicated to careers and job openings that's updated monthly. And it's it's really incredible the number of opportunities there are. Um, so that it's 
vermontlaw.edu slash animal law. And then you'll see the careers page you can click on. And that's opportunities for people who already have their um, their barred, but also student opportunities as well. But nonprofits aren't the only pathway. There are a lot of different ways to do this. And private practice is one. And I think we could use a lot more animal lawyers in private practice. And that's one of the new classes we're developing that I'm really excited about. So one of our alums has had an animal law private practice for 20 years. And she and her partner have sort of figured out the formula for how to do that sustainably and be able to feed yourself. Um, And they want to share that with other people because there is, you know, room, at least every state should have at least one private practice animal lawyer. Okay, good to know. So right now, I'm guessing it's not a huge market for private practice. Right. Yeah, it's not huge. And the, the challenge is I'm hearing from people all the time, like, who can I contact? I'm looking for a lawyer to do X, Y, Z. And sometimes it's like, who in this state can they even contact? We don't know. So even here in Vermont, I get inquiries and it's like, I, I don't know who, who to send them to. And so I would like to see people meeting that demand. We'll be right back. Hey guys, we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers, Audible. Yes, Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies, and mysteries. And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime. Speaking of thrillers, I know you're currently hooked on Never Lie by Frieda McFadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. The twists and turns in Never Lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go. And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money, My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management. What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go. Whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing. So, if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer. Yeah, and even building a network of animal lawyers. Yeah, I just think about how many referrals and just, you know, someone calls you from Florida, what are you supposed to do? You know, for sure. So will you tell us a little bit about what it would be like and what you cover in animal law course? Yeah. So, um, there, you know, there, there's an animal law survey course, which is what most schools that have an animal law class have. Mm -hmm. Um, if you've got a robust program, like, Vermont Long Graduate School does, a couple other schools do, then you're going to have a much wider array of classes. So you're going to have more specialized classes. But 
in a survey class, which I'm teaching right now for the 25th time, um, it it evolves because this is a rapidly evolving field. So I'm like constantly updating my syllabus sometimes during the semester. So we're Uh, on top of current matters. So like last year, we were covering a case that was pending in the U.S. Supreme Court, um, national pork producers, where the court was deciding whether California's decision to ban the import of pork products that were made using cruel confinement violated the Dormant Commerce Clause. Um, We look at cruelty laws because those are the primary laws that we have currently regulating animals. We look Mm -hmm. at some of the limitations of those, including the fact that most state cruelty laws exempt animals raised for food in some way. Um, The fact that there's no federal law governing how animals raised for food are treated on the farm. We talk about the Federal Humane Slaughter Act and some of the limitations of that, including that it doesn't cover chickens, who are more than 90% of the land animals that we eat. Uh, We covered the Federal Animal Welfare Act, which governs um, animals used for experimentation, entertainment, and the wholesale pet trade. And the limitations of that, you're probably noticing a theme here. Um, And, you know, the U.S. Department of Agriculture's real failure to meaningfully implement that law. We also, I weave in some restorative justice topics because we have a strong restorative justice program at Vermont Law Graduate School, and it's a pretty collaborative place. So I incorporate that. Um, We had a symposium on restorative justice and animals last year. Those are some of the highlights. I mean, I could spend a long time talking about it, but animal law encompasses virtually every area of the law. So it's kind of a great bar study class because you got crim law, torts, contracts, Mm -hmm. the whole thing. What I'm thinking is like, this would include, you know, dog fights, stuff like that. Would you go after people? Like, is that, would that be a criminal, civil? Like that's, how is that approached, you know? Yeah. Great question. So, so dog fighting is banned in every state as is cockfighting. That's more recent. Oklahoma was I heard about that. Last state, I think Louisiana, where I lived for many years, was the last state. And so, on the federal level, it's primarily prosecuted criminally under the Animal Welfare Act. So, there is a provision in the Animal Welfare Act prohibiting dogfighting as well as cockfighting. And um, one of the things we've worked on recently was facilitating the first ever placement of roosters seized from cockfighting in sanctuary. So the standard practice is to euthanize them. Um, That's not the case with dogs, but it is with roosters. And there's a sanctuary here in Vermont, Vine Sanctuary, that has developed a rehabilitation method, has trained other places on it, has published peer review literature. So um, Department of Justice was able to work with them on getting some roosters placed there. Um, on the state level, it's also a crime. And so it's it's mostly criminal law. So some folks who practice animal law are doing it as prosecutors, and there are now prosecutors who focus entirely on animal law, most notably Michelle Welch in the Virginia Attorney General's office. But because it's criminal law, there is not a lot of pathway for private enforcement. And yeah. that's one of the challenges of animal law. So in, you know, 
human crimes, you've got both criminal and civil pathways. And the O.J. Simpson case is a great example of that. You had the criminal prosecution, but then you also could bring a private suit. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case for most animal matters. There, There are a few exceptions, but generally animals don't have a cause of action under our law. There are folks who are trying to change that. And so if a prosecutor declines to prosecute, which they often do, Or if they do, but it's not successful because the burdens of proof are so high, the laws are so general and broad, you're kind of limited in what you can do. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. We are such animal lovers. Like, we were so, (laughs) so excited to have you on and just talk about it. I know that there was an animal law course offered at our law school, and there was an animal law group that had formed. So that I, I feel like. Awesome. I can totally validate and vouch for the fact that it's growing and student-led, just like you said. So, Delcy, what would you say is your one tip or one piece of advice for a law student who is looking to get into animal law? I think I would say network. Network, okay. network, network, because it's still a pretty small field. I think networking mm-hmm. is important in any area of law, but particularly when you're entering what's still a pretty small field and we mostly know each other. Um, And so getting to know people that helps you figure out about opportunities, whether they're volunteer opportunities or job opportunities. And there are a number of ways students can do that. So the American Bar Association has an animal law committee and it's free for students to join the ABA. And so they can join the committee and start to meet people practicing. It also has numerous subcommittees, so they could focus on an area of interest. There's a companion animal subcommittee, um, an equine subcommittee, farmed animal, wildlife, and so on. Um, A lot of state bars also have animal law committees, and so that's another opportunity. Um, When I was in law school, I joined the New York City Bar Animal Law Committee, and People I met there are still very dear friends, and I can link most every job I ever got back to connections I made there. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. And then there are also some really great conferences. So there is a North American Animal Law Conference, which is going to be in Toronto um, at the end of September. So maybe before this airs, I don't know, Um, (laughs) probably. Um, But there's also the Animal Law Conference, um, the US Animal Law Conference, which will be in LA in October. And there's a student convention component of that. So that's a great opportunity to first meet other students who will be your colleagues. Um, I'm a good friend of mine, who now runs the animal law program at University of San Francisco Law was the director of litigation for the Animal Legal Defense Fund for a long time. And we met at that conference (laughs) decades ago. And so events like that are really great ways, not only to network, but also just to get some exposure to the vast um, opportunities in this field. Love that. Great, 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 great tip. We are big fans of networking over here. It's such a good one. All right, Delcy, thank you so much for coming on today. So if any of our listeners want to follow up and chat with you more, Will you tell them where they can find you? Yeah, definitely. So I think the website is probably the best place to start, um, vermontlaw.edu slash animal law again. And that will have contact information, information about events that we're hosting, many of which are online, recorded, posted. 
Um, it has the careers page, um, but I'm also on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, and I'm on LinkedIn. I'm not going on Facebook much these days, but I don't think anyone else is either. So, <laughs> um, or X, sorry, not Twitter, but X. Oh, yeah. Whoops. We'll have to edit that out. No, we won't. Um. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I am definitely going to be checking out the website just so I can see if there's any post-grad opportunities to like learn about it, you know? Yeah. Um, I think it's very interesting and very close to our hearts. Yes. So thank you so much. Yeah. It was great chatting with you all. Take care. That was a really cool episode. First off, she's so, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? She has so much credentials. Like she's so well versed and learned in her field. And it was so exciting to get to chat with her. Yeah, I'm especially intrigued on taking down all puppy mills now. Um, So I really want to know how I can get involved in that. So if you currently are a lawyer working against puppy mills let me know dm me i'd love to join in on that um not kidding um because we love animals over here at the ladies who law podcast that being said if you also love animals you should definitely follow us on instagram and like our post from today that has a bunch of cute animals on it so that's at the ladies who law podcast on instagram dm us like our pictures you know? What else you guys want to hear? Yeah. yeah. We hope that your fall, it's its like the end of September, can't believe it, is uh, rounding, it's starting out good and it's going well. And you're probably like, what would you say, Samantha? Do you think that, that they're about halfway through the semester? Not yet. I would, say like, yeah, I would say like October 1st is kind of like halfway through. Yeah. Because usually so, you start like August and then like mid-November like around Thanksgiving is when you start studying for exams I feel like after Thanksgiving-ish you know it's kind of yeah. like exam season so yeah you so you're getting there yeah so if you're having a crazy time email us you know and by crazy time I mean law school is a crazy time and if it's you know <sighs> affecting you reach out to us that's what we're here for we hope that you all enjoyed this episode and don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen. If that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever other platform you listen, make sure and follow us so you never miss an episode. And make sure to leave us a review if you enjoyed this episode. Share with a friend if you have someone in law school and they've never heard of the podcast. Definitely send it over to them. You never know. What if they're interested in animal law and they like want to reach out to Delcy? So you never know. You might be able to help a friend out. Yes. We love that here. All right, guys. Well, we will talk to you again next week. We love you. Bye. Bye.